0: Superman and Power Girl! Welcome to FW Team Up, a proud member of the Fire & Water Podcast Network. I'm Siskoid.
1: And I'm Mike Staley.
0: Taking you through a classic superhero team-up, Superman and Power Girl from DC Comics Presents number 56. That's cover dated April 1983. And Mike... Having recently done an Earth 2 Huntress team up uh, for Christmas, it kind of seemed inevitable to cover an Earth 2 power girl story uh, soon after I, I guess that was the thought i can't remember now but uh i reached out to you you would mentioned your interest in this story
1: when you reached out to me i looked at the list of potential team-ups and admittedly my first thought was are there any cassandra kane team-ups well that's me and of course that was my yeah. first thought but uh, there were not so i started looking Well, what other characters do i like and then i spotted this and it's like "Ooh, power girl I want to talk Power Girl. I love Power Girl.
0: Yeah, there are a lot of characters that just don't. They, I mean, they fall in that slot where team up books weren't a thing anymore. So unless they do like this big team up miniseries or graphic novel, I can't cover them on the show, basically.
1: Yeah, I think like the only big team up that Cassandra Kane has had was uh the one with uh, Dark Horse's Ghost. Right. And that's that's like a four issue mini series, not a single issue team up, so.
0: Yeah. I, we could have done that one, I I suppose. I mean, they're It takes much longer on the show. I like to do, like, these little one-offs. And I know some people are hearing this and are going, damn, I sort of suggested doing, like, that eight-issue (laughs) miniseries.
1: We can do those (laughs) as well. (laughs) Well, I'm not complaining, because like I said, I love Power Girls, so.
0: Yeah, okay, all right, well. Uh, Having said that, each episode of FW Team Up, one panelist picks one character to defend. In this case, is your hero Power Girl? My hero is indeed Power Girl. So my hero will be Superman. And as is customary, we preface with a reason or reasons why we like the guest character. So, Mike, why do you like Power Girl?
1: I was introduced to Power Girl in the Batman Superman Public Enemies movie. Ironically, she was voiced by Allison Mackey from uh, Smallville. And I found her actually a pretty endearing character. I love that she's basically the Earth 2 equivalent of Supergirl, but she's done in a much different way. She's a Kryptonian with all the powers that come with it, yet she also has training in both boxing and karate. And I love a character that doesn't rely too heavily on their own powers. She's also extremely intelligent, but not in that Silver Age genius as a superpower Mm -hmm. thing. She's just smart. And I also like how well-rounded she is in personality.
0: Okay.
1: <laughs> and that, that's the only joke of that type I'm going to do in relation to her because, to be honest, I hate that there's so much focus on that aspect of her when there's so much more to her than that. But admittedly, I think probably because of different writers, I love that her personality is, is not one-dimensional. She can be short-tempered and kind of rash, but at the same time, she can be snarky, witty, and a lot of fun.
0: Yeah, yeah. I I agree with you that it's like they could have done Supergirl. The Superman of Earth 2 looks a lot like Superman because, I mean, because he originated in the the, the Golden Age. Mm -hmm. And there's no Golden Age Supergirl, per se. But when it came to doing his cousin on the other Earth... They wanted a completely different design. You know, it's like to me, very often, there's like they're very different characters. I don't think of the two Karas as the same person. Uh, so it allows her to, to have many different facets that the Supergirl we know doesn't have, you know. And so she's supposed to be what Supergirl would grow up to be in a way, but I think she's forging her own, she's doing her own thing. And I don't think the Kara Zorel of Earth-1 would ever become Power Girl. They're just two very dissimilar characters in the end.
1: Yeah, yeah. I, I, that's one of the main things I love, is just how different she
0: is from her Earth-1 uh, counterpart. But uh, what about you, Sisko? To me, Power Girl is more of a uh, a crush in the modern age. The Palmyadian Connor series... In the 2000s, uh, managed to make her a lot of fun. Uh, far cry from the angry lady of the Justice League Europe books. Mm-hmm. Uh, I don't like that portrayal. Um, but in particular, how they played her off against like Space Lothario, Vartox. Those are like a great issue. Oh, Lord Vartox. Yeah. Uh, she, she has a sense of humor about herself that you don't actually see a whole lot in comics. So she seems very comfortable in her own skin as a result. Where other humorous heroes are, you know, they're, they're either hiding their anguish and insecurity like Spider-Man. Plenty of jokes, but inside they're crying. Uh, or they're basically a joke themselves, you know, the Inferior Five, the Ambush Bug. Uh, funny characters are either basically cartoons, lampoons of real heroes, or it's just a front. With Power Girl, especially in the modern era, it just feels like she just has that sense of humor about herself. Which is exactly opposite to what was happening in JLE. <laughs> uh, so I like that, that power girl.
1: I actually was recently reading an old uh, Justice League of America comic, and while they were fighting the bad guys, they were talking about why they make quips while they're fighting. And if I'm recalling, I believe it was Black Canary who said that, you know, it helps lighten things up with how dark – All of this stuff that they're dealing with actually is. And it's like, wow, that's really kind of depressing.
0: (laughs) Yeah, yeah.
1: (laughs) But yeah, you're right. Power Girl is much more happy with herself, happy with her life, you know, and she's willing to express that joy that she just has for the life she's living.
0: Superman really needs no introduction here, but uh, let's talk about Power Girl's publication history. If you will do the honors.
1: Power Girl, of course, created by Jerry Conway, Rick Estrada, and Wally Wood, debuted in 1976 in All-Star Comics number 58, joining the Justice Society. Uh, She did lead to a bit of controversy right off the bat from Marvel due to Luke Cage Power Man existing. Uh, DC a while back had given Marvel trouble over the Wonder Man character, you know, with the association with wonder woman Mm -hmm. so marvel was quick to respond in kind when power girl was created uh power girl was uh pretty popular actually being featured regularly in the jsa jla crossovers she had her own storyline in uh the book showcase and was a founding member of infinity inc after crisis on infinite earths her backstory was changed making her an atlantean and the granddaughter of uh, arian In uh, 1988, she got her own uh, four-issue miniseries and became, as you mentioned earlier, a regular in Justice League Europe. She would eventually rejoin the JSA and played a major role in Infinite Crisis, where it was revealed that not only was she actually a Kryptonian like she had been previously – But she was actually the same Power Girl from Pre-Crisis, the only character from the Pre-Crisis to carry over to Post-Crisis. This would lead to her first ongoing solo title, which lasted 27 issues. And it was pretty well received as being a fresh and fun approach to the character.
0: And that takes us to basically the New 52, where... Um, she's still that character, basically. I don't think they really changed her after that when she appeared in World's Finest with, uh, with Huntress. I, I think they've, they've decided this is Power Girl. But that whole Atlantean thing, <laughs> man, which led to some horrible costumes later on in JLE, JLI. That was a rough spot. And I think the problem is, or maybe it's because she was lucky enough to have a very distinct look and, and personality and shtick, you know, she wasn't Supergirl. It was easier to give her, like, a different origin story, like the that Atlantean origin story. So she, she's sort of a victim of her own success in that way, I think.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Also, they didn't want any more, you know, no other Kryptonians, John Byrne said, so that was, you know, that was basically a problem that they had to, to figure out. Uh, if yeah, they John, wanted.
1: John Byrne basically did his own version of the Scarlet Witch's no more mutants. <laughs> Except no more Kryptonians,
0: basically, and uh, he had the power to do it, I guess. Uh, but it put Power Girl and her writers in an odd, <laughs> in an odd situation where they had to figure something out. I mean, it's not, it's not too bad. She's still, you know, she would still be the last survivor of a lost world, which is Atlantis. But I think we prefer Power Girl as she is. Oh yeah. All right. Well, let's get into this issue. Uh, DC Comics presents number uh, fifty-six. It is called Death in the Dark Dimension. It's by writer Paul Kupperberg and artists Kurt Swan and Dave Hunt. It goes a little like this. Superman is flying back to the galaxy building when he spots a plasma stream directed at Earth and takes it in the chest, then collects all the falling sun-hot embers before they hit the street below. He heads for the area of space where the attack originated, not hearing the mocking laughter of the unknown enemy tracking him.
1: Meanwhile, on Earth 2, Power Girl responds to an emergency at the Metro Power Electrical Plant where superheated energy is being sucked into a time-space warp. She manages to stop the turbines, thus halting the energy surge. However, despite the workers having already fled, she can feel that she's not alone as the ominous laughter continues to ring out, unheard by our hero.
0: All Superman finds in the sector of space he investigates is a migrant meteor swarm, which suddenly starts to accelerate and turns in Earth's direction. The Man of Steel goes to work, pulverizing each rock until they decide to fight back.
1: With things at the electrical plant back under control, PG leaves the mess for the workers to clean up as she attempts to figure out what caused the trouble. Suddenly, she runs into an invisible barrier and begins to fall to the Earth since, like the Earth 2 Superman in his early days, she can't fly but only leap very far. She lands safely, but then sees a small plane going down because, well, it's Tuesday.
0: In the reality known as Earth 1, Superman is overwhelmed by the meteors and suddenly he's gone.
1: Power Girl catches the plane and the pilot jumps to safety. But then she
0: also disappears without a trace. On Blimar, a world in another dimension, one far removed from Earths 1 and 2, a war rages. It is the work of an alien invader who has campaigned long and hard on this once peaceful planet, Maldor the Dark Lord. Maldor is a hands-on conqueror, slaying the world's best soldiers with his own sword, and finally, Blimar's king himself. With Blimar's fall, Maldor has now conquered the entire universe— And he finds his victory empty in his despondent anger. With but a look, he disintegrates his own loyal followers for being slow and cowardly. Is Maldor the Timeless now supposed to linger on until the end of time, living only for the momentary diversions he creates for himself, like the two Kryptonian superheroes he has just summoned for his amusement?
1: The two cousins from alternate Earths attempt to figure out what happened knowing only that this dimension is home to neither of them. Maldor explains that he brought them there to give him the excitement he craves, since they're the two mightiest beings in the multiverse. Power Girl is none too impressed, commenting, If you're looking for jollies, pal, try playing Pac-Man. Personally, I don't care much to be anyone's plaything. Maldor opts to demonstrate his power by firing a beam at the rash superheroine, knocking her back while telling her she may only act when he allows it. The evil immortal tells of how he has existed forever, creating, destroying, and ruling. However, it all did nothing more than give him short-lived enjoyment before boredom set in again. He hopes that the two Kryptonians can give him the challenge he so desperately seeks. They refuse, explaining that they can simply return to their respective dimensions anytime they want. Maldor forces their hands by threatening to destroy all the living beings in this universe. With the reluctant agreement of Superman and Power Girl, Maldor teleports them to a Roman Colosseum-type arena surrounded by citizens of the world, unsure of what's actually happening. The Kryptonians find themselves in gladiatorial armor, but they shed it quickly. With the battle finally begun... Maldor shoots an eye beam at the floor, summoning a group of weird alien creatures. Our heroes move in, grappling with the creatures.
0: Superman quickly punches a couple of uglies into the arena wall.
1: PG throws one of the creatures as Maldor looks on in delight, believing they may be worthy of facing him. He leaps into the arena, and Power Girl steps in to meet him. The despot takes a swing at her with his sword, but she easily ducks it before firing a punch at his chest. However, all she manages to do is hurt her own hand. Maldor decides she isn't good enough to challenge him and fires an Ivy Matter, causing her to scream out in pain.
0: As Power Girl falls, Superman races to her side. Maldor gloats over her dead body, enraging the Man of Steel, who takes him by the collar, flies him high up in the air, but Maldor seems impervious to his righteous punches. Superman is thrown back by the tyrant's eye beams, and the battle continues, with Superman trying each of his powers on the villain to no avail. Eventually... He lies prone on the arena floor, and Maldor raises his sword above him for a killing blow.
1: Suddenly, Power Girl slams into him from behind, knocking him to the ground. She tells him he should have made sure she was dead before leaving her as she rains fists into his face. Maldor manages to push her away, but is clearly starting to feel the effects of
0: the fight. They've got him on the ropes. Superman lands another devastating blow, and while the Dark Lord is down, the last son of Krypton gives him a sermon— Because though he may defeat the heroes here today, his true enemy is himself. And he'll never survive facing what's inside his own black soul. Challenge accepted! Maldor fears nothing! Not even himself! No victim to goading, Maldor goes back inside himself because he's curious. And there he finds... Madness gnawing at his soul. He screams in psychic agony and implodes, shunting him into a new plane of existence, a dimension of pure insanity that Superman's vision just glimpses before the portal closes. He and his cousin from another dimension seal the warp, bridging worlds with their heat vision, lest that madness escape, releasing a horror far worse than anything Maldor could have imagined. So that's the story. What are your thoughts? What do you think of this uh, DC Comics presents?
1: It was it was a fun story. I always love uh random creatures getting brought in for the heroes to to fight. One thing I I think it's real nice of Power Girl to destroy that turbine and then just leave the workers to clean everything up. It kind of reminds me of the t v show I can't I think it was called powerless," that was all about uh the people who have to clean up after superhero battles. She even mentions in this story here. The workers are back, and they can handle the cleanup. It's like, wow, <laughs> that's real nice of you, there, Power Girl.
0: <laughs> yeah, Superman is more of a—you know—he fixes things uh, before. You know, but there's a lot of panels of Superman, not in this one, but you know, Superman just filling potholes and at super speed and that kind of stuff. So, but Power Girl isn't quite that powerful, despite her name, right? She's—you know—she can only leap tall buildings. So she's she's more of a. She's more of a, like a golden age Superman strength character at this point. Mm-hmm. I mean, she creates work.
1: <laughs> yeah. Well, they'll, they'll, they won't be bored and they won't go to business. Yeah, That's right.
0: Uh, except for what they
1: lose in business from the plant being shut down while they're trying to fix it. Sure,
0: sure. <laughs> do you know when uh, Power Girl started to actually fly? Is that?
1: Um, offhand, I do not.
0: Yeah, uh,
1: I wonder. I, um, I, to be honest, I'm actually reading through a lot of uh, Earth 2 stuff recently and I'm working my way through a lot of the golden age superman I haven't even found where he started flying right, yet so right. yeah I'm not sure when power girl learns to fully fly yeah
0: cuz is like early 80s and I thought well to my mind she always flew because by you know by that point even the golden age superman flew mm, but here they tell us you know the narrator tells us it, it's not she's not quite there yet superman's found a way after years and years of leaping uh, but she, yeah. she'll get there eventually.
1: Yeah, it shows her, uh, building and, uh, still developing her powers.
0: To me, the, the, the strangest moment in that early part of the Power Girl, uh, sequence in Earth 2 is, is that I, I kind of felt that Kurt Swan, I don't know, it's the way he draws the plane that crashes into the, into the, the force field. The propellers, it's just like the circle of the propeller turning, but the engine's supposed to have conked out, but the propeller is still that circle as if, it never stops spinning. So, I mean, there are, like, moments there where I feel like maybe the, the artwork is a bit rushed or doesn't match the dialogue, yeah.
1: It also actually kind of almost looks like the pilot is jumping into the propeller <laughs> when he's escaping the, the plane. Yeah, I did notice the propeller's still spinning. It almost, just based on the art, looks like he's jumping into the propeller.
0: What do you think of this villain, Maldor the Dark Lord? Because he's really got only—they seem to promise a rematch at the end of this, and maybe there were— At least Paul Kupperberg had plans for other stories, or hoped for other stories, because this character only has two appearances, this one and a page in Who's Who, which also seems to promise more, right?
1: (laughs) They seem to really be trying to build him up as practically unstoppable. You can see some intelligence from him in that he did his research knowing that the two of them would hear him out, and that if he threatened to hurt people, they would cooperate. So he's not one of those that just I empower and that is it. I don't think about what I'm doing. He he knows what he's doing. He took the time to know the people he was bringing in and how to get them to do what he wanted.
0: He's, he's a bit of a a bit of a well, yeah. He's really a big speech maker. He talks a lot. He's a very talky character. He's basically without him being in the room, challenging Doctor Doom to a uh, to, to a rant off uh, in this, you know. <laughs>
1: There's, now I want to see that.
0: Yeah, but there's so much <laughs> I mean, on the the front of it, on the on the surface, he seems to be Copperberg's K- version of Mongol or Dark Side or you know, he's supposed to be that kind of conquering villain with ultimate power, I-beams, Darkseid's Omega Beams, but very much more hands-on uh, than Darkseid is. You know, no, ma- He's got minions, he's throwing stuff at people, but he likes to do the killing himself. So he's godlike, he's, he's the god of that one little dimension, wherever that is, it doesn't get an Earth number or anything. But yeah, he talks a lot. There's a lot of talking in this. Not just from him, from them as well, right?
1: It's funny, because when they finally get him down... They they say to him now that we've got you on the ropes we're not about to let up on you and then they go into this long speech and it's like I thought you weren't letting up on him stop talking get on him
0: I mean the fights are th- these are short books right you got to do it all in one go so mm-hmm. they do find a way to make you know there's a montage there's a fight montage which tells us that his fight with Superman lasted a while that Superman tried a lot of tricks uh, all the while Power Girl uh, has passed out you know I, I mean. She's left for dead. We don't believe it for a second. Do you think that Superman knew? I mean, he's got all these super senses. Did he know that she wasn't dead? To
1: be honest, I'm thinking he probably did because just looking at his super hearing, he probably would have heard her heartbeat or her breathing. No matter how weak it was, he would have heard it and known, okay, she's still alive. Although he may have been uh, playing off the idea that she was dead so that she could have a chance to recover. But whether he was or wasn't, when uh, Maldor called her useless, you know, saying, why why do you mourn for someone useless like her? Because she couldn't give him a challenge. And Superman just gets enraged and goes on to the thing about how everyone has a purpose. You know, even if they only mean something to one person. And this is one of the things I really love about the character of Superman is that, that hope for everybody, and that love of all life—it's one of the things I just love about Superman.
0: In a way, he gives maldora a chance. That ending is is uh, really trippy. Uh, it kind of belongs in a uh, like a late '70s Jim Starlin kind of kind of story, like a Doctor Strange story or something, because. Maldor is given the chance to, to confront himself. It's like Superman plays a psychologist and says, well, here's a speech. You like making speeches. Here's a speech. And it's going to tell you, well, y- your problem is you've destroyed everything outside yourself, uh, but you've never faced what's inside yourself. And, uh, pop psychology kind of wins the day where, <laughs> where Maldor goes inside himself. However, that, that, I mean, he's got superpowers, uh, undreamt of, I guess he goes inside himself, finds, We don't see much of what's happening there, but basically he has to face his own madness. That's just like a a personal apocalypse for him.
1: Yeah, we get another, a new uh, Superman power, super psychiatry.
0: It works. Yeah, Uh, yeah, it really works. I mean, the stakes in this are pretty big for a little one-off that's going to take place in a halfway dimension in between the two Earths, more or less. It's kind of saying, well, we don't want to do an Earth-two story, and it's not going to be an Earth-one story. We've created this little world where Maldor can be Uh, omnipotent and have destroyed everyone, you know, his entire life has been about conquering a universe and he's managed it I'm surprised that the stakes aren't that now he's gonna go Obviously, he knows there's a multiverse, because he captures characters from two Earths. But his plan is not then to conquer the multiverse. He's self-aware enough to know, if I feel empty after one universe, I'm going to feel empty after 52 universes, to just name that number, that the, today's number, uh, mm-hmm. ra- rather than the original number that, that was infinite. Those aren't the stakes, but the stakes in this story are, like you said, he knows what buttons to push, and the two Kryptonians... Uh, Being told that he'll destroy every every life in this universe, which is not their own, is what impels them to to, to follow his his lead and, you know, okay, uh, we'll go to the arena and we'll play your game until we can defeat you, but we'll play your game just to keep all these people alive. People we have no connection to, people in a side universe, you know... These are true heroes, so that those are the stakes. And I want to talk about the, the cover a little bit, because we haven't. Uh, it's by Gil Kane, who did a lot of covers in the day. I, I don't know the history of the Crisis on Infinite Earths number seven image of Superman holding Supergirl dead in his arms, because this is... A similar pose with a similar character, right?
1: Yeah, I, I think George Perez was, you know, flipping through the the comics that came out, and is like, "Huh, that's a nice shot right there. I'm gonna have to remember that." <laughs> you know, actually, I saw a. Uh, Picture one time that I thought was really cool of uh George Perez and a girl cosplaying as Supergirl with uh George Perez holding her in his arms doing the the pose from that cover. Wow, I thought that was pretty cool actually, but but yeah, it, I do see the similarity of uh you know Superman in agony holding what appears to be a dead Power Girl, much like he would do later on with Supergirl.
0: Yeah, I mean, this is of course this has from before. There have been a lot of tributes to Crisis Number Seven. Uh, we've seen that cover redone many, many mm-hmm. times. But this is like, and this isn't like the the, the full on same pose, same you know like full front. It's like on a 75 degree kind of angle or something, 80 degree angle. Mm-hmm. Uh, but it's the same idea with a cousin. That could be Supergirl, but is Power Girl in this? So, yeah, it feels like maybe there's a connection. I've I've never heard, if if anyone knows out there, if Perez ever fessed up to it, if it's just a coincidence. But obviously, it's not like a no-name drawing this It's Gil Kane, so one would be aware of the other, I I, I would imagine. Mm Mm-hmm. Any uh, other thoughts about the story before we move to the debate? Well, one one small one that
1: actually goes back to the art in uh the right at the beginning of the story, actually first image, uh Superman, you know, blocking the the beam with his chest, the the face on Superman, he kind of has one of those, you know, smile for your picture, but not very good at smiling for pictures <laughs> look on his face. <laughs> His, I mean, his teeth are bared, but he's kind of smiling
0: awkwardly. <laughs> Maybe he's gritting his teeth, but uh, also I feel like I feel I feel like that's not a Kurt Swan face, you know? I don't know if uh, Dave Hunt really laid it on thick, or it's the angle. It's like it's an odd angle to see Superman in. It's sort of like uh, doing the limbo sort of sort of move, uh, but I just it. it I opened this up and I thought I looked at the credits and went, Kurt Swan, really? This? Uh, and then you see it later, but on this page, I felt like it was I, it was something else. I don't know. So, who fared better? Every show, we get the same debate with the same topics, and the first one is, how well does this fit? Each of the characters' stories or atmospheres. And arguably, Superman and Power Girl have very similar uh, story types and atmospheres. But do you think this is more of a Superman or a Power Girl story? I think
1: that this actually is more of a Superman story. It does fit both of them well. But I think this, the idea of, you know, facing off against an alien. Monster is much more something Superman, especially in the Bronze Age, was doing. Whereas Power Girl, especially like with JSA, was doing a lot more Earth level uh, type things.
0: Yeah, as a member of the, what do they call it? The Super Squad or whatever? Super Squad. Yeah, the Super Squad. Yeah. Yeah, no, yeah, exactly. It's like Earth 2 was a little more grounded in a way, mm-hmm. uh, because of the stories that, you know, was based on. I cannot disagree, and indeed, I am supposed to be defending Superman here, so <laughs> we'll call it a Superman story, because he's got a number of these villains. He's faced a number of these types of villains, so I kind of agree. Cool moves. What is Power Girl's coolest move?
1: I think the coolest thing for her is she is the first to really physically hurt Maldor. Mm. When she comes in from behind and blasts him from behind, knocks him down, just starts raining punches down on him. Uh, prior to that, nothing had affected him. They even went through that entire montage of Superman trying different things, and nothing seemed to be working. So Power Girl was the first to really physically hurt Maldor.
0: Maybe uh, Superman loosened the the bottle cap. But... <laughs> <laughs> But, uh, for him, for, for Superman, I think the cool move, uh, has to be goading Maldor into an existential conflict with himself. Uh, the super psychiatry, as he called it. I, I think that's <laughs> like, well, that, that was the killing blow and it's an unusual killing blow. Talk him to death or shunting him in another dimension through speaking is a pretty cool bit. Dumb or weird moves. That also happens. What about? Power Girl.
1: Well, as was mentioned when we were talking about her personality and such, she has a tendency to be rash and she was showcasing that throughout this story twice, rushing in against him only to get taken down both times and clearly not learning from the first time and constantly just rushing at him when it clearly isn't working.
0: Mm, uh, Yeah, she gets zapped and almost killed. That's a tough one to to beat. Uh, For Superman... I have to wonder why flying, you know, he grabs Maldor, flies him up above the arena, and then is he trying to just keep the fight away from the bystanders? There's no mention of it, why he's doing it. So once he gets there, he does nothing with it. I guess Maldor just floats there. He can fly too. You know, it's like, what is this move? Why, why do this and then not like throw him down to the ground or, uh, or anything? It's just an odd change of terrain for the fight, but there's no reason behind it. So I I think it's weird, borderline dumb. Because they they wind up down in the arena anyway, later. What about the friendly farewell? This is a team-up tradition. How does this one rate? How do these heroes end their adventure together?
1: Once Superman manages to defeat him from within, you know, they seal up the portal, and since they've already mentioned that they can get back to their own worlds anytime they want, they pretty much just do. I mean, I actually as I think about it, yes, they've uh, saved themselves and all and this universe from him, but he's pretty much destroyed every leader. So, they're going to have a lot of rebuilding to do in this
0: universe. I wonder how fast the, the news is going to spread. <laughs> you know, you, uh, does Maldor leave people uh, just to control the worlds that he's left so he can defeat the other world? Uh, we don't know, right? It's like it might just be like little governorships, little tyrannies uh, all over the place. So it doesn't really fix the problem, it's just Maldor's not there to conquer any more worlds, and there were no more worlds to conquer. So are all these worlds except this one, this this planet, are they all already under some sort of tyrannical rule, some sort of fascist rule. Nobody, you know, Maldor ne- just doesn't send letters anymore. We don't know what, you know, we're just going to run this show like we think we should. It's a whole universe. <laughs> I don't know how he contacts everyone, maybe with his, I guess, with his powers. But
1: that- I wonder if anyone's even actually alive around the the universe, because he, mm. he, he, he does not need people. He doesn't need subjects. So I wonder if, as he was getting bored, he would just occasionally just... Destroy everybody and then move on to the next world. Yeah, and maybe he just hadn't hadn't gotten to the people, hadn't taken out all the people on this world yet, but would have. But uh, that's just conjecture.
0: Yeah, well, yeah the story doesn't te- doesn't tell us. Uh, there are like some gaps in there, and the story doesn't end with a goodbye or anything. They're both they're little they're little specks in you know just like a long shot of the arena and they're just like little specks speaking and we don't see them go home we don't we don't get a sense of them saying goodbye we don't get any kind of the the i don't know like some sort of warm goodbye between cousins from another reality sort of thing which is something that i look for in a team-up book you know i want to i want to see that little resolve but here it's very cursory. We just got to end it. We just got, you know, it's like the story's over. And maybe if Maldor hadn't made so many speeches, we would have had time for a little, a little moment, a little character moment between these two. Batman and Huntress a couple months back had that uh, a little more, but it also seemed kind of strange sometimes that Batman and the Huntress are, are related, but in another world, they would be related sort of thing. And And you're wondering, well, what's the actual... Feeling there? How do you resolve the fact that this person in front of you is your counterpart's daughter uh, that you had with Catwoman, who is a villain of yours? How do you resolve any of that? And, and it's never really addressed in those stories. Here, it's, I mean, it's, it's a little simpler. She's an alternate version of his cousin, uh, and he considers her his, his cousin, but we, it's hard to know what the relationship here is. What would be your relationship to a family member from an alternate reality from yours? Uh, and I wish we'd get more of that in these stories.
1: It's an interesting thinking about that because um, the Superman on her Earth is older mm-hmm. than the Superman on Earth 1. And she sees him as, kind, even though they're cousins, she sees him as a father figure because he and Lois raised her when she came to Earth. So she's kind of seen a younger version of the man she kind of sees as her earthly father. Right. So, and, and how that affects.
0: And similar to Batman and Huntress. So, you know, sometimes they touch on that, sometimes you, there's like a thought bubble about it, but Kupperberg doesn't really fill us in on any of those interior things. I mean, it's, it's really... About the adventure and not so much a character piece. The way that the Batman and Hunter's Christmas story really was. It was a character piece. But this is mostly plot. We'll take a break now for a couple of promos, then we'll be back with our bonus team ups.
1: Coming soon from Amalgam Comics Power Man, born on Krypton 1.5 to be the strongest man of Earth 1.5, the fastest, the toughest. The sexiest.
0: Hey, stop staring at my chest. Business reporter
1: at the Daily Star by Day. Superhero by also Day.
0: I have to clean up this town. It's Power Man.
1: In the next pulse-pounding issue, Fartoxia is back, and she's not taking no for an answer in Hate Me, Date Me. Available wherever Amalgam Comics are sold. Born and raised to make a kill She was not given her own will Her first hit left her feeling only disdain She ran to Gotham's No Man's Land Learned from Barbara Gordon's hand This starts the legacy of Cassandra Cain Rising from the devastation of No Man's Land a new warrior joined the Bat family, daughter of David Kane and Lady Shiva, trained from birth to be the ultimate killer, but choosing instead to save lives. She's been Batgirl, Black Bat, and Orphan. She is Cassandra Kane. Join Mike Staley as he goes through every appearance of one of DC's most underrated characters in Silent Night, the Cassandra Kane podcast. On iTunes, Google Play, Spotify, and at silentnight.potomatic.com.
0: Our final feature, the bonus team-up, in which each of us proposes a perfect Power Girl team-up in this case. So, Mike, what do you have for us?
1: Well, it took me a little while here, but I have come up with Power Girl and Iron Man. I admit I did struggle with this a bit, but the more I thought about these two teaming up, the more I liked it. I think it would make a lot of sense with Tony working with Karen's software company to design new stuff for his suit, hence a uh, starting point for them working together. I could also picture their interactions being hilarious given how snarky both of them can be, and of course you know that he would hit on her at some point. I think I think it would be interesting, though, finding a villain for them to face, mm. since you need someone who's strong enough for Power Girl to be challenged by, but you don't want someone that's too strong for Iron Man to be able to handle. But overall, I think it would be a really fun pairing.
0: I mean, Iron Man, you can push him to be as strong as Power Girl or, uh, you know, at least in the movies and even in current comics. Iron Man's pretty much up there, you know. So uh, I, I don't think the, the villains would be that much of a problem, offhand. I mean, I always I always like that there's like a villain from each from each reality involved somehow. So it's more about you know why are the villains teaming up? Tony and Vartox fighting over Power Girl. Oh, oh! <laughs> now you're speaking my language. <laughs> I went with um, Power Girl and the Legion of Superheroes. is the one that I thought of. Uh, so in the final issue of the New 52 Retroboot Legion series, it was suggested that the best-known version of the Legion, the original continuity, uh, was actually the future of Earth-2, not Earth-1. And New 52's Earth-1 was just, I guess at that point, too dark a place to ever spawn uh, the utopia of the Legion. So it was like Justice League 3000 was in... The new 52's future, but the, the Legion future, which obviously existed, was actually Earth 2's future. So Supergirl was once a member of the Legion, and they've done comics with all manner of Superboy in the mix. There have been like three different Superboys that have joined the Legion, depending on the continuity. So, uh, you know, even, even the, the new series, the Michael Bendis series, the Brian Michael Bendis series has Superboy in it, but we've never had Power Girl as a member uh, or even turning up in a story with them. So I would like to see her have to interact with the team from her actual future, going up against Earth temporal villain, Per Degaton. Now, yeah, let's let's go with the Golden Age characters. In particular, we need scenes between the two characters nicknamed PG, because uh, every time you, we say PG and we mean Power Girl, I always also hear Phantom Girl, because they call her PG in that series. Maybe maybe it's because Ultra Boy shows interest in the wrong girl. <laughs> In the wrong PG, uh, which causes <laughs> problems. Uh, though, of course, girl power and friendship should triumph at the end, and the joke would be on Ultra Boy. He's, he's kind of the dumb jock of the group. <laughs> so, you know, he's the Archie in this story, and uh, you got a Veronica and a Betty or something, but that's kind of the, like the subplot uh, that I would throw in there just for fun.
1: I think that'd be a lot of fun. Uh, the Legion is actually a group that I am just starting to really get into. I just started reading uh, Legion. I've just I never had any reason for not. It's just one that never happened to come to me. The only real struggle I'm having is with so many characters in a lot of these stories, it's hard to to get them all down right away. But I'm working my way through it. And and I am familiar with the whole Ultra Boy, uh, Phantom Girl thing. So I can definitely see a lot of humor in that.
0: Yeah, it's easy to to skip Legion in the way that it is parceled off. It is in its own time, and it doesn't cross over with other contemporary comics all that often, uh, depending on the era you're reading, of course, but usually so off to the side that comic book readers often skipped it, you know, and I skipped it for a long while as well. I, uh, Yeah, I got into it in the 80s, which is a long time ago, I realized, but still, for like the early part of my comic book collecting career, I wasn't interested in the Legion. I bought like an issue and I went, well, it it all takes place in some sort of future, so it's not part of the the main continuity. And then eventually, of course, I became reasonable. <laughs> and decided to read it. Uh, and I've been a big Legion fan ever since. So uh, to me, that was natural to to these off uh, to find a way to, to get uh, other characters into Legion. Well, that's all the time we had. Thanks for teaming up with me, Mike Staley. Remind people where they can find you on these here internets.
1: Well, uh, of course, as was previously mentioned, I am the host of Silent Night, the Cassandra Kane podcast. Uh, basically, it's a Cassandra Kane index show. I am going through her post crisis history as well as recently starting her uh, new 52 history and i do uh, one issue of each every episode pretty much just showcasing my love for this character who is just now starting to get a good following outside of comics due mostly to the birds of prey movie which she is in in name only admittedly the character is not her at all but and um you can find me on twitter usually talking about Cassandra Kane, although sometimes I'm talking about other stuff, at Stale Dog with two Gs at the end because I was a teenager in the 90s <laughs> when everybody was called Dog and had two Gs at the end of it.
0: So I'll let you move on and uh, I'll stick around for feedback for our previous episode. Thanks again, Mike. Thanks for having me. Space. The final frontier. These are the recordings of the podcast, Give Me That Star Trek. Its ongoing mission, to explore all of Star Trek. To seek out new guests and new opinions. To boldly go where many have gone before. Give Me That Star Trek. A new episode every month, only at FireAndWaterPodcast.com and on iTunes. And now your comments on our previous episode, in which Shotgun and I discussed the Legion of Superheroes and Bugs Bunny team-up from 2017. Before listening, John Dredge asked where was Captain Carrot and mentioned that Super Squirrel is underrated. Uh, so we did address that in the show somewhat. And of course, Shaq Matthews had to chime in to uh, propagate the fallacy that Phantom Girl is the hottest legionnaire as proven fact. Well, I knew he would. We also have Ken who says the main story looks like it was a bit too goofy for him, but it had some cool moments. And what a great fit Tom Grummet would be for a decent Legion book. Emsley Wyatt says love the retro art. And Zach says the art in this is gorgeous. I think we can all agree on that. Rob Kelly was quick to mention that crisis number seven is where Supergirl dies, not number eight, as I said, and that uh, the editing bot did not catch. He says, why don't you just punch Ange in the face? <laughs> Yeah, number eight is the one where the Flash dies. That's my mistake. Ange did feel like he was—he got punched. He says, of all the things for the editor not to pick up on. I blame AI failure. Uh, Chris Franklin says, well, that was a lot of fun. I should have picked up a few of these DC Looney Tunes crossover books, but the general state of DC these days automatically makes me assume they'll be less fun than advertised. Always great to see Tom Grummett's art. I think he is vastly underrated, and I wish he was getting more regular high-profile work at DC and Marvel these days. I'm not convinced your editor isn't really blot. He's probably moonlighting for Bitcoin or something. Uh, Rob Kelly actually came in after he finished the show, says, I was going to say, with the constant editor's notes, there was more than a little Zoom-style meta-commentary in this episode. Well done. Yes, it is a tribute. Paul Wildenberger says, if a Looney Tunes villain was added to this story, I would have loved to see Validus teamed up with Gossamer. All right, people, discuss. Brian Linton says, I skipped the DC Looney Tunes crossover books when they came out, but enjoyed your coverage of this issue. I also loved the editor's notes and appreciated the extra effort it must have taken to weave them into the episode. A Bugs Bunny team-up I'd love to see is Bugs Bunny meets Craven the Hunter. With Craven standing in for Elmer Fudd, technically the two characters wouldn't be teaming up, but I'd like to see it anyway. Thank you for another interesting episode. You know, versus type arrangements do count as far as the show is concerned. Robert Ward says, I respectfully disagree on the joke about Bugs Bunny in the void. I think him coming out of the black void as if he is suntanning makes perfect sense and fits perfectly with his constant display of being unfazed. Perhaps it is ill-timed immediately after fighting a sun-based hero, but mocking a black void... Uh, by acting as if it were a sunny beach. Seems like a great, if you get it, joke. Still don't get it. And says, I love this book and reviewed it on my site, and we hit on many of the same moments. You can check it out at Comic Box Commentary, of course. It was the best of all things Bugs and Legion, he says. At Boston Fan Expo, I had this signed by Ty Templeton because I got the variant cover. Sam Humphreys and Tom Grummet. I told Humphreys how much I loved this book. He said that he thinks DC gave him this humor book as a sort of tryout. To see if he could handle the hijinks of Harley Quinn. He later became the writer on Harley Quinn's book. Sunboy had long hair in the mid Baxter run. Laroc gave him a sort of mullet. Uh, but this isn't that era. And he says, and yes, Ayla is the hottest Legionnaire. Finally, someone that's on the same page as I am. Mike Dinas says, thanks for a great team up episode. I came here for the Legion talk and was not disappointed. I stayed for all the Sunboy bashing and the editor. That guy certainly knows his stuff. Keep up the great work, editor. Yeah, shame about that uh, Crisis number 7 screw-up. I had to fire the editor. What can I say? Tim Price says, I have to pick this issue up on digital soon. It sounds like a hoot. Plus, Grummet is one of my favorite artists, and he does a fantastic job based on the gallery posts. Thanks for sharing it. And thanks for all your comments. Just a quick mention that if you like this kind of content and you want more, uh, think about leaving a one-time or monthly donation at our Patreon page. That's for the entire Fire and Water Podcast Network. We're at patreon.com slash Podcasts. You can even choose to sponsor this show specifically. As has done. He's brave. He's bold. He's Marvel Team-Up. Um, I don't think that works. Alan W. Wright. Thank you, Alan, for being a specific sponsor to FW Team-Up. A reminder that we do enjoy reading your comments, and that the best place for that is fireandwaterpodcast.com, but you can also visit the Fire and Water Podcast Network Facebook page, or tag us on Twitter using the hashtag fwpodcast Note that the show is now also available on Spotify, so if that's your favorite podcast delivery service, just search for FW Team Up. See you next time for another amazing superhero team up, because, after all, justice is a team effort. Rated PG